0: Focus, I think, is, you know, something that, you know, I'm constantly wrestling with. And I think probably now with everything that's happening in our lives and in the world, focus is probably one of the most difficult things to have right now. So I admire those people uh, and individuals that can really narrow their gaze on a particular task and just
1: just go all the way through with it. Getting clarity on your own purpose in life helps to really understand uh, what you should focus your time and attention on. Then I think it's really about putting into place the architecture uh, to help you focus on it. You know, Bobby, uh, another thing you and I have talked about is the zone of excellence versus the zone of genius. You know, the zone of excellence is where a lot of people get stuck doing stuff which they're good at, but which other people could do, or, you know, there are other alternatives. Getting into that zone of genius, which is the things that only you can do and do better than anybody else is a a constant refining uh, strategy I think we find anytime we find ourselves drifting back into doing things which don't fill us with joy or don't fill us with a sense of meaningfulness it's a good reminder to really kind of go back to to really honing in on that thing um, that you do better than anybody else. You
0: know, I often go back to this quote, this Stephen Covey quote that I, I love, which is, um, you know, the main thing is keep the main thing the main thing.
1: Welcome to Good is a New Cool, the field recordings. My name is Aftal Aziz. And what's up? I'm Bobby Jones. We're two friends who have dedicated our lives and careers to helping others
0: find ways to use their talents and passions to make a positive impact in the world. Today, Good Is New Cool connects and serves a global movement of world-changing entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators using business and culture as forces for good.
1: We're also the co-founders of Conspiracy of Love, a global purpose consultancy helping brands like Adidas, Red Bull, Microsoft, Ario, and more help create social impact in the world. In this podcast, we take you through the stories and people who have inspired our new book, The Principles of Purpose. In the book, we outline nine principles designed to help business leaders attract the next generation of socially aware consumers, as well as the most talented purpose-driven employees.
0: Throughout this series, you'll join us behind the scenes on a journey through the interviews and events surrounding the book, all in the hopes of inspiring you to harness the power of purpose for yourself. Being focused can be defined as having clear goals and objectives, but the next step is ensuring that your work is dedicated to achieving those goals and objectives. In life, this is often easier said than done. And when it comes to business and social change, choosing one route can often seem impossible. However, today's guest shows us why that's exactly what we need to do.
1: So today we're gonna focus on focus. You know, it's so important in your personal life to really think about how you spend your time. And as we explore in today's episode, we're also going to look at how important it is from an organizational perspective. As companies think about the dizzying array of social or environmental causes that they uh, could get involved in, um, our message is really this. You have to pick your uh, purpose sword and shields. And we're going to explain more what we mean by that. But we cannot overemphasize how important it is To focus in, really, on the thing that you do better than anybody else and the good that you can do in the world. In this episode, we will hear from the incredibly focused Dan Goldenberg. Using his nine years of active military, business training, and great enthusiasm, Dan successfully leads Activision Blizzard's Call of Duty endowment, which has helped over 77,000 veterans find high-quality employment since 2009. Dan's one of the most inspiring people we've met on our journey in writing this book. He's been kind enough to come and speak at our GoodCon events and he's endlessly helpful. You know, I think that's part of his natural demeanor. He's also a geek about numbers, which he'll be the first to admit, which is one of the many, many things I love about him. Give him a good spreadsheet and man, he's like his eyes light up. You know, <laughs> it's it's a really interesting combination. And for those of you who don't know, Activision is, is one of the world's biggest gaming companies. And when you walk in to the Activision headquarters, you can't take pictures of anything. They're very, very hardcore about privacy because they're developing intellectual property in there. Um, but it's a very warm, friendly place. And so I had the pleasure of chatting to Dan there and, and learning about what they do. And Dan is, is, is a really special guy, you know, because you realize that his years of active duty gave him a sense of, of service, and he applies that same sense of service to the veterans that he's helping put back to work. That plus that military buttoned up position uh, just makes for a very special person. Yeah, I mean, uh, his focus, his
0: discipline, the business uh, acumen, but there's also this softer side of him, which is all about trying to do good in the world and trying mm. to make it a positive impact in people's lives and also being connected to people that he works with. Mm. You know, for a lot of people of my generation and others you know gaming is is often viewed as kind of like a distraction and it's it's like this thing that you do just for fun or just to escape and but this idea of like gaming for good is this new i think really rich recognition of what gaming can really be. And it's just really exciting to see people really imagine, like, what could that be channeled and harnessed towards in ways that not only benefit communities and society, but also just give the people that are playing the game such a a really exciting um, sense of pride in the work that they're doing and the way they're spending their time and money as well.
1: Absolutely, Bobby. The potential for gaming for good is just infinite. But as you see in this episode, it takes a leader like Dan, to really harness its full potential.
2: Uh, My background is I did nine years active duty in the military. I got out on August 11th, 2001, went off to business school, and a month later, we got hit.
1: Well, quite simply, as we begin our 11 o'clock edition of Eyewitness News, the unthinkable happened today. The World Trade Center, both towers gone, and we are all witnesses to it, and to some degree, we are all victims
2: i went back into the reserves but continued a business career after after business school did that for about 10 years management consulting and information services businesses uh, and after about a decade of that in which i'd continued in the reserves and i'd mentored and helped a lot of my sailors i'm a navy guy coming back from uh you know service overseas i helped them getting jobs um you know i didn't enjoy, i I'd enjoyed it a lot i think they valued from it i'd been able to open up my network and you know, my knowledge, such as it was, to help them out. And then this opportunity came along to do that on a much larger scale within a corporate context. Um, Activision Blizzard had uh, this foundation, it's it's a private foundation, uh, called the Call of Duty Endowment. So uh, 2007, Bobby Kotick, our CEO, he's big into the arts and uh, he was on the board of LACMA, the big art museum here in L.A. And as part of that, I guess, portfolio, um, he was looking for a place to expand uh, an art facility in West LA. And they were talking with the secretary of the VA at the time, the Veterans Administration, uh, about their West LA VA campus and, you know, would it be possible to create an art facility there? And Bobby said to the secretary of the VA, a guy by the name of Jim Nicholson at the time, said, listen, we'd be happy to offer free admission to all veterans. And Jim kind of put his arm around Bobby's shoulder and said, Bobby, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news, but..." Veteran unemployment's almost 30%. Veterans don't need free art, they need jobs. And I think a lot of people will be turned off by that, but to Bobby, that was like challenge accepted. And to him made a lot of sense that, boy, this is an area where we might be able to help. We also have business insights we can bring into the space, and we'd like to have some impact here. We thought our community of gamers would care about this, and certainly our employees would.
0: So often, whether it's individuals or companies or organizations, we have these assumptions or presumptions rather of of what people need and the best way to help and the best way to support. And very rarely or not nearly often enough do we actually engage the communities um, that we want to support in actually informing the the best ways to provide the support that they need. And so, you know, so often we, we, we talk about trying to you know, be the, the the helper and not the hero. And and so much of being a, a helper is asking that critical question, how can we help? What is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to accomplish? And how can we be of service to that? And and I think that story, I think, is a great example of how important that conversation is and how transformative it can be. Um, in the wrong hands, they they could have been they could have been creating an, an art initiative. Um, that didn't make nearly the impact that one did that was really focused on jobs, which is what veterans are really hungry for. So, I mean, I just love that story.
1: Yeah, you know, it's an essential part of the process that we practice at Conspiracy, right? Anytime we start a new project for a brand or a corporation as to what type of social impact they can do, the first thing we advise them to do is listen, listen to the experts in the space and understand what's missing. Because these experts in the space have been thinking about this for decades. And so I think what's really fascinating about Dan is that literally, as he quit the Navy, this tragedy happened. And he had a choice, you know, he he definitely went back and joined the reserves and served his country, you know, admirably. Uh, He had four tours as a commanding officer, a carrier-based naval flight officer, intelligence officer. He was special assistant to four secretaries of the Navy. Like he did his duty, but he also went to Harvard Business School and he got an MBA. And that made him uniquely positioned when Activision said, hey, we need somebody who has a deep love and experience of the armed forces and the business acumen to lead this foundation. You couldn't have written it better.
2: So, the Call of Duty Endowment was launched in 2009, and you know, they were able to raise a fair bit of money, but they felt like, in the early days, the money wasn't having a lot of impact, wasn't getting a lot of veterans jobs. And so they started searching for someone to put some process around how we find, screen, help grow nonprofits in the space and have a real impact. And after a while looking, they decided they didn't want a nonprofit person, they wanted a business person who happened to be a vet.
0: And they found exactly what they were looking for in Dan. Although he had zero nonprofit experience, he brought with him his analytical and operational experiences, as well as his military-like focus.
2: One of the things that's made us really different, and still does, is that we espouse our approach to business and our approach to social good. And that's this philosophy we call narrow and deep, which is we try to do just a few things really well better than everyone else. We don't really take a portfolio approach to business. And so the notion was we could apply that to how we do uh, social good in this context, philanthropy. So rather than saying, we're gonna help veterans, as a lot of companies do, we said, no, we're just gonna focus on veteran employment. The thinking being, if we do that, we can gain a deep understanding of what's working, what's not, and actually have some real impact. That, that was the philosophy. Uh, So that was really my mandate was, hey, find and create a model by which we can partner with the highest performing nonprofits out there in this space and really have a major impact.
1: You know, when you look at the topic of veterans, there are so many different things that brands can get involved in, you know, mental health, or we can talk about, you know, providing kind of training or things like that. And they just focused and said, no, the main problem facing veterans today is that their unemployment rate is higher than that of the national average and there is a whole bunch of preconceptions and and myths around hiring veterans that we can help shatter and only can we do that we can do that by partnering with really smart nonprofits on the ground who are doing great work and by by really focusing in as Dan calls it you know calls it narrow and deep on this problem, we can make a dent, which is what has allowed them to get to such a a, a stunning result of helping 77,000 veterans get back to work on their goal to helping 100,000 by 2024.
2: So in 2013, we implemented this approach um, we kind of co-designed with Deloitte called uh, the Seal of Distinction. And it's really uh, it's not rocket science, but it's it's sort of a, a super vetting process where we have an open call for applications. Any nonprofit in the veteran space can apply. Um, we have a simple application. It's about a page and a quarter long, very metrics and performance oriented. Um, and, and then we have a screening process. But ultimately what comes out the other side are the highest performing nonprofits in the country that do this work. Well, so they apply for the, for the process. They go through a screening. We weed out the non-serious applications. The best ones we then take from an outside board of advisors we have. They vote on them. We take the top tranche of those. We give them to Deloitte. Deloitte does some pre-work and then spends between two and five days on site with each one checking for four things. And so you're forgiving me for geeking out here, right? I can go, I I can talk all day long. Sure. We're looking at the veracity of their performance. So did they really do what they said they do? So Deloitte checks. Background checks on key leadership. Financial scrub of past, current, and future financial strength, which is really important. And finally, um, do they have the proper policies and procedures in place for long-term sustainability and compliance with the law and good care of their employees. So we get a scorecard back from Deloitte. And if the organizations are all green, we then send that to our grant committee. And if they give the thumbs up, they win the seal of distinction, which initially it's a relatively modest amount. It's a $30,000 prize and the recognition, which is now in the veteran space, quite substantial. And then what that means is they're in the family. We know them, we trust them, they've been vetted and they're eligible for grants. Our average grant size on an annual basis is about half a million. So our, we are, we are, to our the best of our knowledge, there may be another organization out there, I haven't encountered it, we're the largest funder of veteran employment in the country. And it's not just jobs, it's high quality jobs. We're, we're a very metrics intensive yeah, organization. Yeah. So not only do we do that seal of distinction approach, but every other year our partners have to go through the process again. And we do quarterly performance evaluations with all of them. And one of the criteria we go into is the quality of the job placements made. So we look at what is the average starting salary? What is the six month and 12 month retention rate? And is this full-time or part-time work?
0: And once they became an authority in the cause, Dan found that he was being approached by other companies and organizations wanting to help and get involved more and more often. But the same rules applied, clear, focused,
1: and measurable change only. So another principle from our first book, Good is a New Cool Market Like You Give a Damn, was find your allies, right? And I think that's another thing that Dan and the Call of Duty and Endowment have done really well. They found their allies in the form of these fantastic nonprofits who are actually the ones putting the veterans back to work. And this is where this philosophy of narrow and deep comes in. Um, they are narrow in terms of the focus. So these are only nonprofits focused on veteran unemployment. For example, they're not funding nonprofits that deal with, for example, veterans' mental health. The deep part comes when they look at the level of rigor that these nonprofits have to go through in order to earn those grants, in order to qualify for them, and the level of follow-up in detail and measurement uh, every year to see how they're doing um, to get that year-on-year comparison. So. I think what Dan has done a great job of doing is is finding the right allies, but also challenging them to provide the right information in order to make sure that the the investment is accountable and, and as efficient as possible. So, you know, Bobby, you and I talked a lot about where Dan's story fitted into the book, The Principles of Purpose, because his story could have gone into multiple places, including Purpose Must Measure What Matters. But we eventually put him into this section called Uh, Purpose is about picking your sword and shields. And just to explain what we mean by that, when we advise our clients in Conspiracy of Love, um, we use this this analogy, uh, which we believe originated at Unilever as a really helpful metaphor. Um, When a brand or company is faced with the array of social or environmental causes out there, um, some of those causes are shields. So... What we mean by that is it's an issue where the company needs to have a defensive position on. Sustainability is now a shield that's mandatory for any company or brand um, to have a position on, you know, how your products are made. Um, Diversity and inclusion is a shield that every company needs to have a good position on. Um, What really gets us excited is the sword. And by the sword, we mean what is the issue or cause that's almost like a crusade for the brand to get involved in fixing that was a thing that struck us um, aside from the military analogy dealing with dan that they were super clear about what their sword was it's not just veterans it's veteran unemployment and so i know i've personally benefited from applying that narrow and deep philosophy you know in the businesses that we run bobby
0: absolutely and I think the, because they're so clear about the problem that they want to solve, it it's sort of served as a really good filter for them um, to show which organizations are a good fit and which ones aren't. And really giving them the opportunity, the organizations, to, to showcase why their work is so impactful uh, in their own ways in terms of what the nonprofits are doing. And so I think that the ability to find your allies becomes infinitely easier the clearer you are in terms of the impact that you want to make, what are the keys to success in that, and what value you are for those allies as well. And and I think they've done a really good job in in those areas.
1: So this interview was recorded pre-pandemic. And as we all know, the past year has had a major impact on the US national unemployment rate, with it reaching as high as 14.8%. However, unemployment rates amongst post-9-11 veterans are still higher than those of their civilian
2: counterparts. Underemployment, and this is one of the, again, benefits for us being narrow and deep, we really understand the veteran employment landscape, and I'd say arguably the the American employment landscape very well, deeper than a lot of people at the Department of Labor, I would add. The 11 nonprofits we currently fund last year were able to place a veteran in a job for $504. That's one-sixth the cost of the U.S. government's efforts. Um, So one of the trends that you don't hear much talk about, but you will over the time ahead, is underemployment. Um, It it is an epidemic, and it's a growing epidemic in our country. So, for instance, the U.S. unemployment rate that we all rely on as a major economic indicator, it's based off one question that the census asks every month. Do you know what the question is? Last week, did you do any work for pay? Last week, did you do any, and they even capitalize the word any, work for pay? Uh, I'm a reservist or guardsman, and I drilled last weekend, but I don't have a civilian job. You're fully employed. I work five hours a week at Starbucks. You're fully employed. I cut my neighbor's lawn for 20 bucks if you're fully employed. That's the U.S. unemployment rate. So when you see that number in a gig economy, um, you know, in a world where people are working two or three jobs and have no benefits, you know, take that with a huge grain of salt. So what we see is a lot of underemployment. It hits vets particularly hard. It hits them 16% harder than non-vets.
1: When I first got out, I mean, I took I six months. I couldn't find a job. I spent a year looking for a job. A year.
2: The jobs weren't as good as I thought they should be. Hey, you're a Marine. Why don't you mop this floor?
1: You're in the military. Perfect. We have a security position. It's $9 an hour. You'll love it, because you get to hold a gun again.
2: There's jobs available, but I feel like there's
1: employees out there who are just avoiding Hiring veterans. When they see the, the Marine Corps on my resume, their mind goes off into...
2: Mindless drone.
0: Brainwash.
2: Uneducated.
0: Is this infantry Marine?
2: So one, one of the things that our narrow and deep allowed us to see is something no one else saw in the veteran space. So the, the unemployment rate, and particularly the veteran unemployment rate, which the Bureau of Labor Statistics releases on a monthly basis, was, has been ticking down, 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 down for years. And the weird thing is, we saw the opposite in demand for job services from veterans. We saw it going up, up, up. So we, we've been talking about that, investigating. The first thing we did was dig in, because we could, uh, into the BLS numbers and understand where we came from, and we learned that they're really not valid. That, that, so we got really interested in understanding what would underlay that, and, and, and the hypothesis from our grantees, from our conversations with them, is underemployment. I have a job, but I'm about to get evicted from my apartment. You know, they're hearing that over and over again. So a lot of their their clients are vets coming to them saying, "I'm not making it. I need help to get a better job." Um, the other interesting thing that came to us at the time was we were approached by ZipRecruiter. It's funny how. You know things will just happen at the same time and they said to it they're based in santa monica and they said you know we're seeing this weird thing we have, we're seeing a lot more vets in our database and they have one of the world's largest resume databases a much higher percent than their representation in the economy what do you think's going on here And he said i don't know we have a theory it's about underemployment uh, can we team up on this so we teamed up with them we got um arguably the most prominent researcher veteran researcher in the country a guy named phil carter And we did a study and we produced this this study on underemployment, which shocked everyone uh, that one in three veterans are underemployed and veterans are, so one one of the things that our narrow and deep allowed us to see is something no one else saw in the veteran space. So the the unemployment rate, and particularly the veteran unemployment rate, so we've developed some unique, I'd say intellectual capital here. Um, so, you know, that's just an example, and we've messaged it quite a bit, and I speak a fair bit talking about this and educating people who should know better but don't that underemployment's a major problem, and not just for veterans, but for Americans in general. Um, so, to us, it's not just check if that got a job. It's really important to us that they got a good job.
1: This attention to detail and understanding of not only the figures, but unemployment in the U.S. as a whole allowed Dan to bring precision to the cause that facilitated real change.
2: It's shocking to me, to be honest with you, how many companies, they check their business smarts at the door. They think when it comes to charity and philanthropy, that if you're applying what made you successful as a business, somehow you're not being charitable. I'd argue they're exactly wrong if you apply what makes you successful, you find a realm where you can really add value there, you'll actually do much more social good.
1: One of the themes we talk about all the time is the idea that purpose is about measuring what matters, right? As we start to look at how business engages with doing good, oftentimes the most successful companies apply that same rigor and discipline and precision to their social impact. Uh, And Dan and the Call of Duty Endowment is just a, a spectacular example of it. The level of focus that they bring to doing this good makes them more accountable. Um, makes the community feel like the money is well spent, um, and also holds their nonprofit partners accountable as well to make sure money isn't wasted. It, it is it is a military position in some ways. The call of duty endowment is one I hold up. Um, whenever asked me for an example of how to do it right.
0: Yeah, and I, I think part of that just shows how much of an opportunity it is for people who are really skilled and knowledgeable and experienced business professionals to apply this, their talents and resources. To doing work that can have a real impact, you know. I, I think what Dan is really saying, you know, when, when he talks about this idea of of checking your business smarts at the door, is this idea that in in so many ways, people who work inside of companies and businesses feel as though they have to leave a part of their skill set and a part of themselves uh, and put it aside in order to be of service. And I think what he's saying is that the best way that any of us can be of service is by using what we do best and using our talents and our resources to make a, a positive impact. And so I, I think it, it's just a real reminder, I think for for everyone uh, to, to really look for those opportunities where what you do really well can align with what people are really hungry for in order to create change.
1: Something that always sits at the heart of social change is the human stories woven within it. And for the Call of Duty Endowment, these stories couldn't be more hard-hitting.
2: From each of our grantees we get three veteran impact stories per quarter you know every given quarter I, I could hand you uh, 27 stories uh, and I have them all uh, so it's it's funny it's like a, an embarrassment of riches we have these stories but it's favorite one, it's, one, gosh, my favorite you, one? Just... you know so here here's a great one the most unemployed MOS military occupational specialty is infantry not surprising and You will have people who've done incredibly hard things in combat, went and did hard things for the nation, and then they come back and they're told, look, you're a door kicker, you know, and they believe that. They say, like, well, I have no skills. Like, wait a second, you're 22, you've led eight to 12 people in a combat situation. You're responsible for their training, their well-being, been given limited resources, sometimes unclear objectives, you've gotten the job done. Uh, You work extensively in foreign cultures. Like, you're right, you have absolutely nothing to possibly offer the working world, right? So there's a big gap there. So I think of one particular vet um, who came back like that.
1: Serving my country was always something that I wanted to do. My uncle was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force and he used to take me to the Air Force base.
2: I remember he had talked to the army when he had been in high school. And one day he just came home and said, Dad, I'm gonna join the army.
1: A few years later we deployed to Afghanistan, the first striker brigade in Afghanistan.
2: It scared me when I got the phone call. They said he had shot one of his legs. That was a rough time, really.
0: I
1: met DJ when I was Medevac from Iraq and he was Medevac from Afghanistan. He was going to spend 20 years in the military. He was Army all the way.
2: And I know that it was really
1: hard for him when he was told he couldn't be infantry anymore.
2: And it took a lot of coaxing from one of our partners, still serving veterans, to help him figure out, one, what his interests were, and two, you know, what he could do with them. And he's like, well, I really like computers, but I'm just the door kicker. And you know, they got him a little bit of training, and they got him a job. Someone was willing to take a chance of this was in Georgia. and. This guy did an apprenticeship with him, teaching him how to be basically an IT help desk kind of guy, fixing computers in small businesses. And he did incredibly well. And six months later, he got hired away by a big national firm. And now he's building a team uh, where he's aggressively hiring veterans to do the same work. He's going out there to say, hey, I did it. You can do it. But seeing this guy who thought he had nothing to offer obviously does, found a whole new passion. And now not only is he doing well, but he's helping other vets do well. When Dennis tells somebody that he was in the infantry and now he's in there fixing their computer, people go, well, wow, that's a, that's a big change. He has a willingness in his spirit to do it and do, do the job and do it right. Small business employers like myself are, are really fortunate to have an organization out there that funds an organization such as Still Serving Veterans. It's become a vital part of my business.
0: Veterans,
1: they've gone through a lot, and they do need help. My advice is pretty simple. Don't try to do it by yourself. Ask for help. In, in the work that we do, whether it's this new book, The Principles of Purpose, or this podcast, or GoodCon, we're always more interested in the human story uh, behind the strategy. We think that's exactly why it makes it so relatable because you're not hearing about this incredible achievement that this corporation pulled off. You're hearing the very personal story about a person inside these companies or you know, a fashion designer or an entrepreneur and the struggle that they went through. And, and by being transparent about it and saying, yeah, it, it is hard. It is really difficult to find your purpose and then to make an impact in the world, it demystifies it. And and to your point, it shows people that there is this gigantic community out there who feels the same way.
0: Yeah. You know, when uh, Dan spoke about uh, the veteran who you know believed that he didn't they have anything to offer after these years of 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 service. And, and I think what that story reminded me of is, is that I think so often employees as as workers and as individuals, we struggle with um, wondering whether or not you know our talents, our skills are good enough, and whether or not you know we're we're right for this particular job based on what we what we can do or what we can't do. Um, really, what Dan really when he was speaking to this this veteran, he was like, "Who are you? What are you passionate about? Who are who? What are the things that that bring you alive? What are the things that give you a sense of energy and, and a sense of excitement?" And, and and for him, it was it, and, and that opened the door for how he could be of service and how he can connect that thing that makes him special as an individual to the work that needed to be done. And, and I think for me, that was that was the epiphany that I had, um, which is who I am is the starting point. And, and, and I think that's a, a really important lesson that I learned. Um, and and that I think Dan has, has helped a lot of other veterans to learn um, is to start with who you are, what brings you alive, and how to, to bring that, your full self into the work and how to help companies uh, create space for these individuals to bring more of themselves to, to these organizations than what they may have been able to show just as a, as a military person.
2: A couple of years ago, our employee communications asked me, hey, do you have a couple of people you could kind of call out that we really like to honor and recognize for their help with the endowment? So I started, I sat down and I wrote a list down. And I came back to them with 80 names of people who had made substantive contributions across every function in the company. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, you know, they showed up at a meeting. I'm talking about they did stuff that made the endowment go. And that's what I'm so proud of is there's not a function I can think of in the company. Legal, marketing, PR, uh, in the devs and the studios, um, IT. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I, I can think artists, musicians in the company who've found ways to add real value. I mean, a a super high level of engagement at every level. But the question is why?
0: Why is it that consumers and employees alike care so much about social good being part of gaming? Well, this is what Dan had to say about that.
2: You know, I think, look, we're in a fun business, but we we take our business very seriously. I, I think people in general, you know, they want to break out. They want to see their company standing for something. And they want to they do good because they know that we have incredible intellectual assets that we can bring to bear on social problems. So, I mean, look, there's going to be a, a segment always in any place you go of folks who just show up to work and they want to work and they and the rest of their life they want to keep them apart. I'm finding that less and less so, you know, that they, they, there's an expectation their company will deliver. They look around, they see abilities to make a difference in the world and they bring them to me. People come to me with good ideas. You know, some just won't be feasible and some will be fantastic. Um, you know, I, I found it so interesting, a pretty junior employee, like a coordinator level employee, asked to meet with me. And, you know, without a second thought, she, she, I, I said, sure. Well, she had gotten to meet with basically our head of human capital in the company, C-level executive, just because she said she's interested in learning about how Activision Blizzard is doing more to help people. So our chief people officer, sat down and met with her, because we have a a culture like that, where you can do that. And I think there's this notion of never close yourself off to ideas like this. Um, We're a very collaborative culture. Um, You look at some of these meetings for, uh, like this Call of Duty launch we're getting ready to do, and there'll be 30 or 40 people in the room, but anybody can talk and they won't get squashed. You know, it's, um, it it feels like a, you know, almost a, a little bit of drilling for oil, you know, you don't know it's under your feet until you start drilling, and then all of a sudden you get a gusher. That's happened a number of times. I think when people realize there's a willingness and a, and a competency developing, it gets them more excited. You know, it's a virtuous cycle.
1: But for someone as focused as Dan, this came with its own challenges.
2: It brings It brings some problems with it, but I'd argue they're good problems to have. You know, people say... You know, my aunt is having surgery on this. We should support this clause. Or my best friend runs this great nonprofit. And, you know, you have to have a point of view on this stuff. And companies that take the shotgun blast approach, uh, and there's still some out there that do, some pretty big ones where, you know, you know, we we support 20,000 charities. That's great. Have you had any impact with am? Well, we don't know. We can't measure. Why can't you measure? Because we have too many. Exactly. You know, you need to have a very focused point of view on where you want to do social good as a company. And that enables you to have, honestly, more powerful conversations with people who bring to you good ideas that don't fit. I think it's more important you show people that, you know, you have channels for that passion, right? And, and between employee volunteering, employee donations, philanthropy, cause marketing, call it what you will, it, it's almost like you have to have those tools in your toolbox today um, to give people an outlet there. And they feel better about their company. I mean, you know, there's a mountain of data to show, not, not just consumers who are demanding this yeah. employees are.
1: I really admire Dan's focus even when he has all these employees approaching him about different things that the company could get involved in he's done a tremendous job of marshalling the enthusiasm but also being open to innovation to hearing new ideas about how um, they'd like to to take ownership and find new ways to leverage the games and the internal community as well It, it just shows you how purpose is really about planting seeds sometimes and being open to seeing where they blossom internally within a company, Um, it's crucial if you want this to go from being, you know, a corporate initiative to being something that is truly loved and appreciated by the employees who then become some of the biggest allies. I, I think what we notice in common is, for those of you who go on that journey to create social impact inside your companies, sooner or later you hit a ceiling. There's really, only so much sometimes you can do and oftentimes what that leads to is people creating a, a project outside of their work that they can do in their spare time that fuels their sense of purpose as well and in fact Bobby that's what you and I did we we started writing good as a new cool outside of our day jobs because we felt like a hunger for more so I think what we say is you know today more than ever companies are receptive to their employees coming to them with ideas to do more good but keep in mind that you might only be able to spread your wings so far before you need to then find another channel, uh, another source for that inspiration as well.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've had that experience, um, you know, uh, particularly in, in trying to create spaces and opportunity for more diversity and, and more inclusion in, in the places where, I, where I've worked. And and I think for the most part, those conversations have been received well, even if they didn't necessarily lead to the type of actions that, that i um, have wanted. But I, I've also been struck by just in recent times, particularly with, because there's so much discourse in, in diversity and inclusion, the role that timing plays uh, mm. in having these conversations and how organizations that may not have been at the right place to really talk about how their supply chains can be more climate and environmentally friendly or how their leadership teams can be more diverse and, and inclusive, or how much time different people have for family leave. All these different conversations that, to your point, of, have, have kind of hit this ceiling at different points, how that ceiling is being raised mm-hmm. or how that ceiling is being eliminated because of where we are in this particular moment of time. And so the the other thing that I would say is, you know, keep pounding that rock. You just never know when that moment is there where the company has to do the thing that they weren't ready to do a week before, a month before, a year before. And timing is everything. And, And I've seen a lot of breakthroughs happen over the past 12 months that people have been fighting for decades. Now, just as employees wanted to make a change, it was clear. So did the gamers,
2: you know, different messages for different audiences. Right. You know, I think for gamers, it's really important to make two points. One, uh, like we have real impact. I mean, if you, you know, there's like your dollars are being well spent having real impact. They Because gamers are skeptical. They're a skeptical a lot. And so there's a burden of proof on us to show that, look, every dollar you donate or raise is going to this cause and this is the impact. it's having. So Activision Blizzard covers all of our overhead, all the endowments overhead. So every cent we raise from individuals or consumers or partners goes directly to putting vets in jobs. So divide whatever we raise by $504, that's how many vets got jobs. Um, which is a real advantage for us. And I think a real, you know, what a, what a nice message to partners and consumers is like, you know, every dollar you're, you're contributing goes to that. And I think one of the things everyone really likes about the endowment is like, what's not to like, right? We're, we're doing real good for people who generally are, are a pretty valued group, at least in principle in, in this country. Um, not, not so much in practice uh, in the job market and other areas, but, but in principle. Um, You know, it's just incredibly positive. I think, you know, gamers will give, but you have to, one of the things we've learned over time is they have to get, generally have to get something in return. That thing can be entertainment, but they need to get something in return and then they can be incredibly generous. So we run this event every year called the Race to Prestige, uh, which is a round-the-clock, Anywhere from year to year, it varies, but from four to we've done as long as 10 days. But we literally stream Call of Duty and we get world class streamers to come in and play the game and they have special guests and they they have challenges and whatnot and they encourage the viewers to to donate. And we've raised a substantial amount of money directly from the gaming community. Typical year, you know, three to four hundred thousand.
0: Since this interview, the Race to Prestige was renamed the Cold Bowl, with the endowment moving from donations to a sponsorship model. The event has moved from strength to strength and become something bigger and better than ever before. There's even talks of it being submitted for an Emmy.
2: You know, it's just starting out. You know, like there, there's a big runway here, especially on the sponsorship side, because it's an amazing demographic. It's an amazing, you know, group of engaged players. You know, and, and uh, you know, we, we've got a very engaged audience that now expects this. Um, so we're looking for ways to broaden it. Stay tuned.
1: All this goes to prove just how generous gamers can be, with the endowment awarding more than $42 million in grants to date. This includes Activision donating $31 million of its own money and $18 million coming from in game purchases from gamers wanting to support the cause.
2: We'll, we'll do these things called uh, personalization packs. So they're uh, game player cards, uh, weapon camouflage, just other items in-game. They don't affect gameplay, but people like to trick out their, their avatars, if you will. Um, so we've been able to raise millions and millions, I think over $4 million to date through these in-game items.
0: And what's more interesting is that it was only the beginning. Once the cause had drawn them into the first purchase, many of them
1: went on to buy again, making a good cause, good business. So, you know, oftentimes when people look at a corporation donating to philanthropic charities, the accusation is, oh, they're just doing that to make more money. And the answer is, yes, they are. (laughs) They're doing it to make more money because they are businesses. They're not philanthropies. They're not foundations. So ultimately, every dollar they spend has to have an ROI, It has to have a measurement. And so where it goes wrong is, if a business is just writing checks um, you know, willy-nilly without really thinking about how it shores up their uh, focus in terms of the social impact, that's where it gets fuzzy. That's where it oftentimes becomes the first thing that a chief financial officer will cut when business is bad, when profits go down. Well, let's get rid of this thing because nobody can attach an ROI model to it. Whereas the way Dan approaches it, Is that we're gonna be accountable uh, for every dollar we spend and we're gonna clearly show the ROI both in terms of social impact but also how it benefits the business that's when it becomes bulletproof and so you know the way we sum it up is in the United States alone we gave around 400 billion dollars to charities last year that giving is, is critically important it should continue but we spent 13 trillion dollars buying stuff and so the opportunity lies there in terms of finding a way to channel some of that commerce into doing good as well and i think that's what um, the discipline and rigor that dan and the call of duty endowment help facilitate um, that roi that allows us to really think about this in a totally different way in terms of business solving some of the biggest problems on the planet
2: The company, they're very deeply respectful of the cause. They're very much like, there are things I've said, yeah, 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 let's show some game footage on that. They're like, no, no, we don't want to over-commercialize this. We want to stay focused on the cause. It's always been about the cause first.
0: And it goes to show that all of the hard work was worth it, finding job satisfaction not only for the veterans involved, but for himself too.
2: I have no problem sleeping out of bed every morning and coming to work. I, I've, you know, this is almost in, in two months, it'll be the longest I've ever worked anywhere, one, one single place. And, uh, you know, I don't feel restless because I just, you know, the commitment from the company is real. The people I work with are fantastic. They bring me ideas all the time and, and they work with me. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't even think of a time when someone said, like, sorry, Dan, I don't have time or I'm not interested. I think it's pretty amazing.
0: So we just heard so much of Dan's amazing story, and and I think the the, the greatest part is just hearing him talk about how he just leaps out of bed every morning and is, is so excited about the work that he's doing, mm-hmm. um, and how even after all of these years, um, it's, it's still fulfilling. I think probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from Dan is the power of of focus, uh, in, in really being clear on a, on a problem that you really believe can help transform lives if solved effectively and really dedicating your time and attention and resources to doing it and being consistent in in that focus and also bringing along other people to also help solve that problem in ways uh, that can consistently show how you can move the needle of impact in a way that's measurable, uh, but also meaningful. Um, And and I think that's one of the things I'll I'll continue to try to apply from this time with Dan.
1: Yeah, he's he's one of our favorite people, you know, there's so many great things that he, he manifests and espouses. He makes it a point to measure what you treasure. Uh, he's taught us a lot about that. Um, he is super clear on what is Activision Call of Duty's sword and what are the shields. And he's done a tremendous job of helping find allies both internally within the company and in the gaming community. And in those partnerships, in finding those column allies who are there to help solve this problem of veteran unemployment, um, and we're pretty sure that he's going to hit his target of helping a hundred thousand veterans by 2024. This episode of Good Is a New Cool, the field recordings, was hosted by myself, Afterlaziz, and Bobby Jones. It featured the executive director of the Call of Duty Endowment, Dan Goldenberg, and was produced by Natalia Rodriguez. Go
0: to goodisnewcool.com to find out more about what we do and also where you can pick up your copy of the Principles of Purpose. You can also follow us at Good Is a New Cool on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Join us next week for another episode of Good as New Pool, the field of recordings. In the meantime, until we talk again, be good, be kind, and take care of each other.